Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast. I'm Cindy Gozanski, and I'm so glad you've joined me again this week. Today, I have a fabulous guest, and I can't wait for you to meet her. Welcome to Beth Rontal. Beth Rontal is an MSW, L-I-C-S-W, and she is a nationally recognized and engaging speaker on mental health documentation for private practice clinicians and those in agency settings. And before you stop here and think this is going to be a boring episode about documentation, I've got news for you. We are going to make this much different than any other discussion you've heard before about documentation. So Beth has mastered her teaching skills with thousands of hours of supervising and training clinicians at an agency for over 11 years. Her misery and mastery trainings, that's trademarked, misery and mastery trainings, and documentation forms have been used worldwide. Beth is known as the documentation wizard. Her documentation wizard training program empowers clinicians, reduces anxiety about documentation, and furthers professional integrity. It simplifies the documentation process by systematically linking effective documentation to quality care and helps therapists pass audits and protect their income. Beth writes blogs on clinical documentation, co-chairs the NASW Private Practice Shared Interest Group, and has a private practice in Brookline, Mass, specializing in working with people who struggle with emotional eating. Her other interests include writing and performing cabarets and her current one-woman show called My Mother's Daughter. Welcome, Beth, to the Heart-Centered Therapist podcast. Thank you, Cindy. I am just delighted to be here, and we are not going to have a typical conversation about documentation. You bet. That's right. That's so great. And Beth has already been a guest in my Facebook group, the Heart Censored Therapist Facebook community. And so you can also catch some previous discussions we've had there. But let's start, as I like to, by asking, what does being a heart censored therapist mean to you? Well, let me break that down into two different roles that I have. My role as a therapist and my role as the documentation wizard. My role as a therapist, what it means to be a heart-centered therapist to me is to always do my own work and to be compassionate, as compassionate with myself around my own foibles as I encourage my clients to be. And that's when I, that's when I was supervising at a clinic for 11 years. That's how I would work with my supervisees. Because when we do our own work, we're better able to sit with whatever our clients bring us. And when we go through those moments of, I don't know what I'm doing, we can simply say, thank you, mind, for telling me how much this means to me. And I need you to just back off a little bit so that I can be present. Oh, great. We needed to hear that today. I think we always need to hear it. I th- I think even the most seasoned therapists need to be reminded. How can we be compassionate to ourselves? Yes, because therapists give so much and talk about self-care with clients all the time and forget about taking care of themselves because it's all about making sure the client is okay. And that comes up in documentation and we'll get to that. So how I see myself being a heart-centered therapist as the documentation wizard is to remember that no, none of us were trained in grad school. None of us really got good training on the job, that we have a lack of knowledge, a lack of training, a lack of self-confidence, and an abundance of anxiety because of it. And 
that there's nothing wrong with us because we don't know it. We're not bad therapists because we don't know it. We just don't know it. And in truth, we know more than we think we know. But it's our lack of knowledge and confidence that just takes our prefrontal cortex offline and makes us not even be able to think. 100%. And that's what we're going to talk about today is really looking at what we do know and how we can translate that into effective documentation, documentation with more ease and less anxiety. Because when you said that, we have an abundance of anxiety around this. I was like, oh, are you looking into my soul? <laughs> and it's not just me, but so so many of us, we're, we're just constantly feeling pressured and threatened at many different points around our documentation. To just kind of guide our listeners, we will talk about how you support therapists today in completing their documentation, right? So that it passes audits, so we have confidentiality, but these other bigger details, like it protects our income, it reduces our anxiety, and ways that you can help us see that it's also important for things like client care, because most of us think documentation is just boring, doesn't even matter. And you have an entirely different take on that. I do have an entirely different take on it because I am first and foremost a therapist. I mean, what I wanted to do when I first became a therapist or want to go to school was to be a trauma therapist. And what did I think that documentation had anything to do with providing good therapy? And the truth is, is that you can provide good therapy without doing good documentation. It is absolutely possible, but you can't protect yourself and you can't really protect the client. And being a good therapist doesn't make you good at documentation. And being good at documentation, frankly, doesn't make you be a good therapist. So because I'm a therapist, first and foremost, I want the documentation to have clinical relevance, to help me think about the client. So I think about writing my session notes or progress notes as self-supervision. I review what happened in the session. I review it in a very systematized way, in the way that I teach it and in the way that my templates have it. And I use it to help me think about what happened in the session, why it happened, how the client responded to the interventions I used, why I used the interventions I used. How does this session make clinical sense or how it doesn't make clinical sense? And that's important to allow ourselves to have the time to think about our clients that way. So many of us are booked back to back, particularly if you work at an agency and have a productivity requirement, you are just plowing through session after session without time to really think and reflect. So writing our notes is an opportunity to think and reflect. And as much as I don't like spending the time writing my notes, I like having the time to reflect on what happened. Yeah, that's such a mindset shift. It is a real mindset shift. And I think it's an important one because it then allows the documentation process to be meaningful and useful. Right, which for the most part, None of us thinks that it's meaningful and useful. We think we just have to get it done. Right. I think I find it meaningful and useful. I mean, not every single session. It's not always meaningful. You know, sometimes you could write a note in three minutes and it's like, yep, that happened, that happened, that happened. That's why it happened. Signed, Mm -hmm. sealed, and delivered. Mm -hmm. But you've got a complicated, a person with a complicated set of issues and a session that felt complicated and some may, maybe you felt a little lost at times and then you found your way back. It's really helpful to think that through. I think the concept you give about looking at doing our notes as self-supervision is brilliant. This is why you're the documentation wizard. I've taken your training. I know other colleagues of mine have done that. And we'll talk about that, but it's so much of a way to educate ourselves differently. Because like you said at the beginning, we did not receive education on doing documentation in grad school. And now let's look at it as something that we all have experienced, hopefully, supervision. And what would self-supervision be like? How was this intervention that I used? How was my conceptualization of the client in this session today? 
And it gives a whole different flavor to when you sit down to write your notes that this is a way to self-reflect. Yeah, yeah. We also think that there's only one white way to write our notes and that we don't know it. And I hope that in my training, although I provide a structure, a very clear structure for note writing and treatment plan writing, that what therapists recognize is they don't have to sound like a textbook, that they're actually writing notes for a real person, not for a diagnosis, and that treatment plans need to reflect the person that we're working with, not all the symptoms, but how those symptoms manifest. What are the behaviors? Another way to say what are the behaviors is to ask what are the quote unquote functional deficits? And I don't particularly like that term functional deficits because it feels, it just feels icky to me. (laughs) (laughs) But there are behaviors that people have that are useful or not useful. And even the not useful behaviors have a use. It's just that it's not as productive as it could be. But it's informative. It gives us an understanding of their lives or where they're getting stuck or where they're not having quality and satisfaction. Yes. So what are those places where they're stuck? Where, what is causing them to not have quality and satisfaction? What are the feelings, the thoughts and the behaviors that contribute to that? And those are the things that we document in the treatment plan, the thoughts, the feelings, the behaviors. And we don't have to be a cognitive behavioral therapist in order to do that. We can, and and if you are, then you're going to have documentation nailed pretty easily. But if you aren't, you can still do it. There's two questions I like to ask that I teach in my training that helps get the behavioral um, manifestation of the symptoms that people say, oh, I'm really depressed, Um, I'm really anxious. Okay, what does that depression make you do or not do? How How does depression show up in your life? And I like asking that those questions because it focuses on the depression and not on them. What does the depression make you do or not do? So that already is an intervention because it becomes about the depression and not how bad the person is for how bad the person feels. Because I guarantee when a person's depressed, they're also have they also have a very self-critical part of themselves. And that just feeds the depression, and then it becomes a merry-go-round of, of increasing depressive symptoms. So, right. And so, this is really such a great way to also help reframe it a little bit for the client, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. Exactly. It kind of gives a, a higher view, it allows the client to look at the symptoms and what they do rather than feel bad about themselves. And if they have a hard time saying what they do, then I ask this question. If your life were a movie and someone was seeing you as if in a movie, what would they see you do or not do that would show you were depressed? Oh, 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 well, you know, I, I can't fall asleep until four in the morning. Oh, tell me more about that. How often does that happen? Do you wake up often? You know, then you can start asking more questions. And I like that question because it's now giving the therapist the thousand foot view, right? And it's, it's asking the client to stand in someone else's shoes and look at themselves from someone else's point of view. And that's a good thing to do because a lot of people really have a hard time self-observing. They don't know what they do that's causing the problem. So the questions that we ask to get a good treatment plan are therapeutic. And I just wanna pause there for a minute because 
I think that really gives our listeners such a sense of who you are, Beth, as the therapist, right? We're really, we've barely even talked about documentation. We're talking about therapy right now and who you are as the therapist, looking at a way to really help the client shift some of their perspectives express what maybe they've never been able to express before because of being asked such great questions. And what a wonderful way to help with assessment for us, right? Like these are fabulous questions. You know, how does the anxiety show up in your life? If your life were a movie, how would I see the anxiety or the depression? Tell me the scenes. How would I know it's there? How would somebody else know? And these are just brilliant ways that therapists can start to work in a way that honors the client and their experience without shaming the client because we've externalized it just a tiny bit. That's right. That's right. And that's why I say I'm a therapist first. Mm, I love that. Yeah. So also here you're expressing to us ways that we can look at why it might be clinically useful to think about our approach to documentation from this perspective, that we're doing it to be helpful to the client and for our own self-supervision case conceptualization. It's not just to check off boxes for the insurance company. Not only is it not just to check off boxes for the insurance company, but I promise you that that's not all the insurance company wants. In, In fact, Medicare, which sets the national standard, basically says if all of if if your entire note is checkboxes and drop down menus it's not acceptable there because it's not about the client there are what i call administrative requirements and then there are the clinical requirements and i teach both of those and i teach them in a way where they intersect yeah so it's really important to have a good template and it's really important to be able to have a case conceptualization. And here's the thing, we all do. We all do. Even if we have a hard time articulating it, we all have a sense of why we do what we do and what's going on in the room. So what happens? We have this and then you know, right? Maybe maybe it hasn't happened to you because you're the documentation wizard, but you sit down to write your notes and you're like, oh, I got nothing. I feel blank. I think that's a matter of not having a good template. Okay. I really do. And maybe I'm naive in that regard. I didn't start out as the documentation wizard. (laughs) I had absolutely no interest in being a documentation wizard. But I fell into it because I was responsible. One of the jobs that I had as a supervisor at a clinic was to help create the clinic's first digital documentation system, which wound up being so good that our clinic passed audits and our clinicians reduced the amount of time they spent doing documentation and everybody was happier, even though nobody was happy doing documentation. Did you know one in five people will experience a mental health issue this year? Mentalhealththreads.com is your online shop dedicated to promoting mental health awareness and breaking the stigma surrounding mental illness. You can find fun, creative, and inspiring products like t-shirts, hoodies, and more, all with positive messages that remind us to take care of our mental health. Favorites like Perfectly Imperfect, Your anxiety is telling you lies. It's okay to not do it all. And no risk, no magic. Plus, we have a special collection just for therapists, like our bestseller. I'm a mom and a therapist. Nothing scares me. So come check it out at mentalhealththreads.com. Our mission is to start important conversations about mental health and to remind you that you are not alone. Check out mentalhealththreads.com today. I remember when I was working as a dual diagnosis residential treatment counselor, and my notes took me an hour to write because I basically did a recap of the session. And that's a process recording. That's a he said, she said, or they said, they said, recording. It's, it's not a note. 
And it's very useful, but it's unsustainable. And it's not the right kind of note to have in a medical record. It's a useful teaching tool, but it's the wrong thing to have in a medical record. And that's what I used to do. And I remember when someone was trying to teach me how to write goals, objectives, interventions, I I was like, this makes no sense to me because it just sounded like all words. And I have been able over time, because I had to teach the system to my supervisees, I've been able to recognize that there's actually a formula. So I'm able to help therapists translate their clinical skill and intuition into a formula that will allow you to write a treatment plan that, that creates the golden thread that carries all the way through our documentation, that informs our decisions and lets us know when we're actually off the treatment plan and why we might be off the treatment plan. And this formula is a formula, but it's not, it doesn't make our work formulaic. It just allows us to translate our work into a formula. So you know where to put different aspects of the information that you've collected. The reason I keep harping on good note templates is because a lot of our note templates have these big boxes that say things like clinical content. And I know when I am when I used to be faced with a note template that had a big blank white space that said clinical content, I thought, what do I write in there? Exactly. What we get we get paralyzed. Absolutely paralyzed. It's a perfect word. I would get paralyzed because I mean, isn't everything to a therapist clinical content, right? There are therapists who have broken down what clinical content means to them, but I've broken it down even further. I've broken down that there's a quote that we use in our progress note about what the client says that kind of encapsulates what we're going to be talking about, that kind of gives the emotional and intellectual tenor of the session. And there are the interventions and you can use one intervention and you could use four or five interventions. And you want to have a template that has checkboxes with the interventions that you most commonly use. And then you want to actually describe what you did using those interventions and modalities. And you want to have a place to describe your clinical assessment of what happened in the session. You want to have a place for your mental status exam. You want to have a place for progress. You, I don't think it's enough to have an empty box that says assessment because there's about five different kinds of assessments in a progress note. So what are you assessing? Well, I think it's important to break down the assessments so that you don't have to remember how many things go into the assessment box. So what are those assessments? Well, the assessment is how the client appears, right? The assessment is if you performed a 90837 session, Why? Why was it medically necessary to do that? Another assessment is the risk assessment. You know, is the client suicidal, homicidal, assaultive? We want to have that. That is a necessary part of every session note. If we are doing two or more sessions of the week, I see a client twice a week, every week. I've been doing it for seven years and I justify it in every second session of the week. I justify why we've done it. And there's lots of reasons why. But one of the biggest ones is she has a significant number of biopsychosocial stressors, including court involvement, and it keeps her going. And she uses every minute of her 90837. Another assessment is prognosis. How much do we believe the client is going to be able to achieve their goals and why? So you know, and another assessment is progress. So there's lots of different assessments that go in. So if we have a big box that says clinical assessment, you 
freeze like a deer in the headlights, what goes in there. So I break it all down like I just did. And and that's so helpful, Beth. And really breaking this whole thing down of your formula and why it's so helpful that we do have our clinical intuition and skills. And we do that as a matter of course, that's our mastery as therapists. And then we get stuck. I think we get we worry and we freeze because we don't know how to translate that into the documentation. And what you're showing us is you've created this formula and these templates that really are best practice for doing your paperwork. Best practice based also on your experience with Medicare that kind of, you know, runs the show. So this is huge that you're sharing it with us and making it available. And we're going to link to everything that you have, but you know, for the listener, check out documentation wizard. Is that what it is? Documentationwizard.com. Like yep. you believe the robust website that Beth has and what she offers. And we're just giving you a, a taste of how using these best practices can start to also allay your worry and reduce your burnout and so much more as a therapist. That leads me to want to say that, and I think I said it a little bit ago, that therapists think there's only one right way to write their notes. And that's with all of this clinical jargon and that they need to go to a treatment planning book and a note writing book. And I just don't believe that that's necessary. I believe that if we think about it, we know what we do and that we can use those books to guide our thinking but a lot of people use those books to simply write their notes and write their plans, not to guide their thinking. And that what we can do is speak English. We know what we're doing. We've taken trainings. We have a clinical perspective and we don't have to write it all in clinical jargon. And in fact, if we can write it in a way that's not all clinical jargon, other people, including the client, will understand it. And the client has the right to access to their notes. Yeah, that and that's so, so important that becomes part of the client care, right? That, that they should be able to understand it, hopefully reviewing it with the therapist, but still if, yeah. if they want the access. But going back for a second with the books and the clinical jargon. And this this leads me into that hot topic about using AI for mental health documentation. I know you've written a blog about it. Maybe you've been on other podcasts about it, but what are the pros and cons? Because some therapists are like, oh, I'm going to use ChatGPT and do my notes with that. What do you think? Well, I have very mixed feelings about it, as do a lot of therapists. And I think that Chat GPT, I think AI is here to stay and that we need to learn how to use it responsibly. And I am not an expert on it. I'm learning about it along with everybody else. AI only works as good as the information you provide it. So you need to give it the right prompts. And if you have a good template and give it good prompts according to your template and then your chances of getting decent information that are useful is good. I have not tried AI for a clinical assessment, and that is, frankly, the hardest part of the note, writing why you think why, what why you think what happened happened. I haven't tested AI for that, and I don't know when I will because I have so many other projects right now that it's not the highest one on my list. But can be good for helping you find some interventions. I think that it may be helpful for diagnosing, but you always have to rely on your own judgment. I think it has some uses, and I think that we still have to rely on our own clinical understanding. Absolutely. And and it goes back to what you said at the beginning, where we're trying to show that we're treating an actual person, a human being, and that that comes into the note, that it's not just checkboxes and anonymous, that we get a sense of who the person is, who the client is, and what what we're doing. 
in that session. Sometimes therapists have so many random questions about notes and documentation, and I'm sure you've gotten a lot of them. One of them that I hear all the time, is it goes kind of like this, right? I have a huge backlog of unwritten progress notes, but I have all of my notes on pieces of paper that are well-organized. And, you know, I take notes during session, but they're not typed out. And how am I going to ever catch up? Like, this is a huge burden. How, what, what would you advise me to do to try to catch up on all of my handwritten notes, getting them into a medical record? Medical record. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Turning them into a medical record. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I would say, don't try and do it all in one day because it's not going to happen. <laughs> and that's when therapists, when anybody takes on a big project that they that they just really want to get done, they say, I'm doing it today. And it just won't all get done. The first thing to do is count up the number of notes that you have to do. Mm-hmm. And then probably multiply that those numbers, that number by, oh, let's say an average of 12 minutes. It depends on how old, how far back you go. You know, you could have 100 notes, you could have 500 notes, you could have 20 notes. I love that you're normalizing this for everyone. So great. Oh my goodness, yes. Everybody gets behind. Even the documentation wizard has gotten behind on her notes. It happens. You know, we should have our notes written ideally the same day. But that doesn't happen all the time. You have children, you have parents who have emergencies, you're not feeling well, you're running out to an event in the evening, there's real life situation. So count up the number of notes, recognize that the longer you have to to catch up, the more time it's going to take to write. Your oldest notes are going to take more time than your more recent notes because you've got more work to do to recreate what happened in the session, even with your handwritten memory notes. Those will start, those could take 20 minutes a piece at the beginning. It'll get faster over time. Take one client at a time, start catching up with one client at a time by starting with the oldest note. And after a few notes, you'll go down to 15 minutes a note, then you'll go down to 10 minutes a note. You may never get down to five minutes a note because you are recreating from the past. And that is just harder. And then plan your time out and say, Mm -hmm. okay, I've got an hour. I can do an hour three times a week. I can do three hours on a Saturday. I can do another hour on a Sunday. I'm taking the whole weekend off. I'll do it all during the week. Just plan it. Write it in your day timer or wherever you keep your calendar and and stick with your plan. Make that date in your calendar as important as going out to a movie because it's going to relieve a lot of anxiety to just have it done. Right. Right. That really is is such great advice because... It's something we can all tackle a little at a time. And to know that it's going to help our self-care and reduce our anxiety, that you're not the only one. That really resonates for a lot of us. Yeah. There are people who are two years behind on their notes. It's not good, but it doesn't make you a bad person. (laughs) That's the therapist, right? It doesn't make us bad people. That's right. We're, We're human. One of the ways to help yourself and the ways that I help myself write my notes, because I get to the point where I get like 10 notes behind. I haven't done notes for a few days and, and I find myself wanting to go on Facebook and play words with friends. And then two hours of note writing turns into four hours of note writing. And then I think to myself, what am I doing? I could just get this done. And I recognize that what I'm looking for is some companionship. So I turn off Facebook and I plug in some music so that I have something to keep me company. So so I play music. Nice. And sometimes sometimes I'll do something like set a timer. Come on Beth, just get it done. Set the timer and I'm rather competitive. So <laughs> I'm going to get it done. I have a whole tip sheet on 25 ways, 25 ways to get notes done that I am 
offering to your listeners as a gift. Wow. Oh, that's so exciting. Thank you for this. You're welcome. 25 ways to get notes done. Okay. So we're going to link to that in the show notes, which will be amazing. And I can't wait to get it. That's great. I really like that idea of companionship for you. It's music or the competitiveness that might work for me too, setting a timer. Or maybe people do co-working where they get on a screen or something with somebody else. So there's lots of ways you have to figure out what helps you feel accountable. Yes. And what helps you not resent the process so much? So good. Because that resentment is a huge barrier. And that resentment contributes to the anxiety. There's something I call documentation anxiety, and we've really been talking about it, right? Not knowing how much or how little to write, not knowing how to protect our clients' confidentiality while protecting ourselves, right? That's the lack of training, the lack of knowledge, and the lack of confidence. And then there's the abundance of anxiety, which is the documentation anxiety that comes from the lack of training, the lack of of knowledge, and the lack of confidence. And when that lack of training and knowledge is not addressed, it can that documentation anxiety can turn into documentation trauma. And that is real because a therapist gets an audit letter and instantly the therapist gets anxious. And if the therapist doesn't know how to do the notes and how to do treatment plans and finds themselves scrambling at the last minute or having to pay back money, that's trauma. And it brings up childhood trauma they're being punished for something they didn't even know they were doing wrong. And so this documentation anxiety has roots that go way back, just like all the other anxiety that we experience. The other trauma, right? If you go back to, to, you know, being punished or criticized for not doing a, a task or a chore, right? Because you weren't taught how to do it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I say don't let documentation anxiety, which is totally normal, turn into documentation trauma, which doesn't have to be. Right. It doesn't have to be. And going back to that mindset shift of looking at our documentation as a form of self-supervision, which is so good. Share with us a little bit about the documentation wizard experience. You have forms, you have workshops. What do you offer for so many therapists, as well as I know you consult for different um, groups and agencies, but let's talk about the documentation wizard package. <laughs> okay. So I have a training that I call Misery or Mastery Documenting Medical Necessity for Psychotherapists. I have a recorded webinar, it's a six hour webinar, and CEs are available for many different licensures in many different states. And on my website, you can find out if your licensures and state are represented. And the entire outline of the course is on the website. And I address documentation from intake to discharge. And I explain how the golden thread weaves through intake to discharge and informs our thinking. And that is actually what the golden thread is. The information weaves between every single different kind of document and within each document. And the golden thread works with, the golden thread is like the clinical information and it works with the administrative information to create a note that will pass audits and protect us in board complaints. And so I not only teach the treatment plan and the session note, but the case and collateral contact note and the discharge summary and the intake summary. Um, And I talk at the end about the triggers for audits, for clawbacks or recoupments, and for legal and ethical issues. So it's a very complete package. And... So that's my training. I do it. I used to do it in person all the time. I have done one in person in the past four years. And 
I do them by webinar, live webinar, and the recorded webinar. I also have uh, a package of clinical forms and a package of administrative forms, which are more like practice management forms. I have diagnostic and assessment forms. You, you just go on my website and read about them. I was looking again, and your administrative forms are so comprehensive, as well as the clinical ones. I think people forget what they need, and you have left nothing out. I really try to be comprehensive. I don't I haven't run across anyone else who has a form for a case consultation. And it's so important to write up your case consultation. So I have a form for it to make it simple, to make it easy. And these forms and templates can then also be incorporated into the different EHRs, like simple practice and... Yeah, you can either use them right on your computer. And if you use them on your computer, you should your computer should be password protected and you should have them installed in an, an encrypted program. And you can also use them as a, a guide for how to adapt your practice management system because some practice management systems let you customize their forms. And I know, having seen so many systems and other forms, that there's a lot that you can get from my forms that you can use to customize. That's great. Um, Beth, you also have a huge Facebook group that's amazing. You have like over 9,000 therapists in it. Uh, uh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I have about 7,500, which is getting close to 9,000. Oh, it might be more because I think when I put the URL in, it looked like it was nine something, but that's a big group is clinical documentation for psychotherapists. It's excellent. So many questions and answers in there. It's kind of like a a big fact machine. So make sure you go in there and check it out. Yeah. The chat, the therapists in that group are very generous. There's people who there's lots of questions and there's lots of answers. We love generous therapists. That's that's who we applaud here at the Heart Center Therapist. And, you know, of course, Beth has been in my Facebook group, the Heart Center Therapist community on Facebook. I love your group. We I um, love answering your questions. Thank you so much for participating. She's great in there. So as you think about documentation, if you could go back and tell yourself anything when you were just starting out as a therapist, what would it be? Well, starting out as a therapist, I would say if you want to go into private practice, it's not as hard as you fear it is. It just really isn't. There is an abundance of clients out there, and they're just waiting for somebody to be free and not free, but open and available. And make a plan to leave your agency job or go back into practice if you've been taking a break. Make a plan. And work the plan and and know that you will be able to make a decent living, even if you take insurance, it is possible. That is my belief. It is my experience. I take insurance and I have private clients and you will probably have the same thing. If you take insurance, you will probably have a mix of insurance-based and private clients. And I would say, hold those frightened and scared and tender parts of yourself that are afraid to go out on a limb, to hold them tenderly and let them know that they are not the ones making the decisions. They can go have an ice cream and you're in charge. If you really wonder what steps to take, get some coaching. It's a great investment. In terms of clinical documentation, it's the same thing. Get some coaching. Invest in yourself because it really does reduce the anxiety. It keeps the, and it, I don't think you ever eliminate documentation anxiety. I still have over my shoulder, am I doing this okay? But you don't want it to turn into documentation trauma and to breathe and to know that you know what you're doing. And if you come to a point in the session where you don't know what you're doing, get consultation and document your consultation. It's really not rocket science. There's help at every turn. And I just, I love what you just shared because we need therapists now more than ever to be there and serve clients who have 
so many needs. And whether you choose to take insurance or private pay or both, what Beth said is true. You you can make a living, a good living, and you can also find help at every turn. And that's why I'm just, I'm so honored that you were able to come on the podcast today, Beth, and share about what we usually think of as a frightening topic, documentation, but really it can be something that we work with to hone our skills, hone our case conceptualization, hone our self-reflection, provide better client care, and reduce our anxiety. And you have a system for doing that. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I make that system accessible in how I explain it. That's what I've been told. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very proud of it. I'm very happy to do it. My goal is to empower therapists to believe in themselves and protect their incomes. Well, I just really want to thank you and acknowledge you for doing that, for this mission of yours to empower therapists and any of us like myself who have experienced that. It's so great. And the opportunities you give us to do this documentation piece differently and to be even better as therapists when we can show up fully as therapists and trust our clinical intuition and expertise and then translate yeah. that is just so empowering and, and so helpful. So thank you for continuing to put it out there. You're welcome. And I hope your listeners take advantage of my 25 tips to getting notes done. 25 tips to getting notes done it will be in the show notes. In the meantime, documentationwizard.com. And Beth is at Documentation Wizard on Facebook and Instagram and Beth Rontal on LinkedIn. And if I missed anything, it'll be there. So huge thank you, Beth. And we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. You are welcome, Cindy. It's always a pleasure. That was such a fabulous conversation with Beth. I don't know if you felt like I did, but usually if you're sitting in an agency and you hear about documentation or you have to attend a training, it feels kind of punishing and ugh, threatening. This was so different. Beth really helped us shift our perspective about documentation, about how we can reduce our anxiety and feel better as therapists, feel that we're really skilled and doing our work. Really important, Beth said, to think about doing our notes as self-supervision. What are we aware that we did during the session? What do we reflect on? And all of those thoughts and feelings and behaviors that the client shared with us can be in our notes, in our progress notes and the treatment plan. But that concept of self-supervision as we sit down to do our notes will make all the difference and will also reduce your resentment about having to do your paperwork because this is about having something that's meaningful and that is providing good client care and also great case conceptualization. Beth shared two great questions that are super important when you want to write your notes. The first example was, what does that depression, what does that anxiety make you do or not do? So you could ask your client that, or you could ask, how does it show up in your life? How does depression show up in your life? So that's the first question to try to get at the assessment part. And the second question that can be really useful that she shared was, if your life were like a movie, what would somebody observing it see you doing or see you being that would show what your depression is like or that would show how your depression is impacting you? So what does that movie look like? What would somebody see if they were watching a movie about you and your depression, anxiety, fill in the blank. The other really important tip she gave us was, as we think about the golden thread, the golden thread is really that clinical information that goes through from intake to discharge to case consultation. And we keep that in mind as we're doing each step of our documentation. And then remembering that 
when we have a quote from our client to sort of start off any of our notes, that is so useful because you get that emotional and intellectual feeling, or in her word, tenor of the session. And I just love that. The quote gives you that, that you can carry through. So finally, as the takeaway is, let's remember that we are skilled as therapists using our clinical intuition and expertise. And the reason we sit down and start feeling paralyzed or filled with anxiety when we do our notes is that we don't have a formula because we're missing a formula and a template to translate our work, our clinical intuition and our clinical expertise into the documentation. So I really encourage you, if you have any anxiety, any questions, any interest at all in being able to do your documentation more efficiently in a way that's going to protect your income, protect you from audits, and also get it done faster, check out Beth's Documentation Wizard website, forms, templates, workshop. It's really great. And let me know, feel free to hop into the Facebook, the Heart Centered Therapist Community Facebook, send me a DM on Instagram, send me an email, and let me know what are your big worries when you're doing your documentation and what gave you a sense of reassurance from this podcast, from hearing Beth today, because I really felt reassured. She really normalized what it's like when we get behind on our notes. That was super reassuring to me. And I just love to know if you've had a worry, was there something that was reassuring to you so that we can cheer each other on? We need that connection and community as heart-centered therapists. So thanks again. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.